Hi everyone, welcome to Disability Inc. My name is Aaliyah Roth, I'm the manager of Youth and Transition Services here at Include NYC, and today we are here with Trina Hazel. Um, Trina is an incredible self-advocate from Brooklyn. Um, she is currently a student at CUNY School for Professional Studies, and she is the 2018 Miss Wheelchair New York. Welcome, Trina. Welcome. So we're here to talk to Trina about her platform as Miss Wheelchair New York and, and what brought her to that journey. So Trina, why don't you start by telling everyone a little bit about yourself and, and what inspired you to work towards becoming Miss Wheelchair New York? Um, I'm Miss Wheelchair New York. I'm from Brooklyn and I go to school at Kenny School of Professional Studies. I have a disability called Cerebral Fosley. And um, I'm a self-advocate for people with and without disabilities. Great. And so when you, can you talk a little bit about the Miss Wheelchair New York experience? Like, do you apply? Do you, is it, it's a competition, right? Yes. Um, to become Miss Wheelchair New York, you have to apply. And you have to be a full-time wheelchair user and you have to be 21 and up, and you have to reside in the United States. And so what was your, and you have to have a platform, right? An issue that you... Are important about. Yeah, okay, great. So what is your, what is your issue, and what has that looked like for you? Um, my issue was to bring some advocacy into schools and make it an inclusive environment. Great. And so can you talk a little bit about what inspired you to do that? Why self-advocacy and... and what brought you to that platform? Um, Self-advocacy is important to me because I believe that students with disabilities in school should have the opportunity to be involved and also have a voice in their um, school journey because often um, the school administration never acknowledge students with disabilities having a voice. And. You know, I know you very well. We've been working together for almost two years now. So I know a lot of this comes from personal experience. Do you want to talk a little bit about what your transition out of high school was like and how that brought you to this work? Sure. Um, when I was going to school, um, my IEP team never um, did any transition planning with me. So I was left to do all the transition planning with the help of my mom. Even though, like, she didn't really know which direction to go, but she advocated on my behalf as well. So, um, transitioning, we didn't have a plan, but I knew what I wanted to do. So we just worked with that as an option. And can you just talk a little bit about what transition planning is for folks who might not be familiar with that terminology? Transition planning is an assessment that students with disabilities get to take to find out their goals and interests that they want to do in the future and it will help guide you in your journey. Mm. And so, right, and there's an entire section in the IEP that's dedicated to transition planning, right, that talks about post-secondary goals. Yes, but on my IEP i never seen that as an option. Mm. So. I didn't even know what it looks like. So you didn't even know it was there? No. Yeah. 
And this is common, you're saying, right? Yes. Yeah. Why do you think that is? Why do you think schools aren't including youth with disabilities in their transition process more? Why do you think that's not happening as much? Um, I think that's happening because they only believe that there's one option for a person with a disability, which is to be sent to like a day program or just spend their time at home. And, right, and so, and that's obviously rooted in a lot of ableism and, and prior institutional mentality, right, like a medical model. Um, so, so what has your work been to combat that, to be, to really be a voice for people, especially wheelchair users, right, because that happens yes. so much, you've talked about, um, with young people who are wheelchair users or have CP, what has your work looked like this year in schools? Um, my work in schools has been um, going to schools and talking to them about disability awareness and how they can be an ally to a person with a disability and also how they can start a program in their schools to help bring some advocacy into schools and make it a part of the school curriculum. Also starting student councils for students with disabilities. And I was also able to meet with some people from the um, chancellor's office and the education support system to work on helping them create a self-advocacy course in the transition centers. That's awesome. Can you talk a little bit more about that? What would that, what would that look like? And and what would your or what were your recommendations when building self-advocacy curriculum and programming like what do you think that needs to look like um well i call it um the roots of self-advocacy have a little bit of disability history um way of self-determination and different skills that students with disabilities can use just by earning self-advocacy skills and you said self-determination. Um, what's that? Um, like being a learning to being able to make decisions for yourself and how you can use it while you're in school and beyond. Cool. And so do you get into any issues around like guardianship versus other options? Because I know that's something you're really passionate about too. Sure. Like um, often... People with disabilities, after they turn the age of 18, um, their only alternative is guardianship. So I like the option that they have now called supported decision-making. It's giving you another option to have um, people on your support team instead of just having like one person um, acknowledge to guardianship for your future. Can you talk a little bit about, like, the politics of that? Like, why Why is guardianship potentially problematic for folks with disabilities, especially folks with IDDD, right? Intellectual disabilities and developmental disabilities. Um, it, it becomes a problem when people with disabilities have guardianship because um, they never get to make decisions for themselves. They probably wouldn't even get to vote, have the right to vote, or anything like that. So that one person has to make all the decisions for them, it's like almost the entire human rights are taken away. Mm. Yeah, 
which is rooted in a lot of the systems that you're trying to combat, right? You're trying to encourage self-determination, self-advocacy centered around the self, but guardianship kind of removes that autonomy, right? Yes. Yeah. And so supported decision-making doesn't do that? No. No. And you're going through that process right now? Yes. Okay. And you're enjoying it? Yes. Okay, cool. Um, that's awesome. So with your, with your reign of Miss Wheelchair New York, right? Where you're wearing the crown for another couple months, yeah? Yes. What are you planning to do this fall, you know, now with with your last couple months before you pass the crown on to another Miss Wheelchair New York? Um, from my last couple of months being Miss Wheelchair New York, I plan on visiting council members in the community to try to bring their attention to disability awareness and also, um, have them maybe acknowledge a disability awareness month in the community, as well as um, visiting the parks department to try to connect with them to also celebrate disability awareness in the parks because other children would get to interact with other children with disabilities. So are you hoping with a meeting at the parks department to work on accessibility, to talk about inclusion? What is your goal with, with that? Because the parks department, I think, um, is a really, it's not, you know, unlike schools, it's a place that doesn't have walls, anyone can show up, right? But is accessibility an issue there? Um, accessibility can also be an issue because they're not always, like, they don't have accessible swings for the people who use the wheelchairs or may need a different kind of adaptive equipment to be able to use the swings or like a ramp for the playground. Um, it's just for people with disabilities to be able to interact with people that don't have disabilities, especially kids. I think that's an important awareness, place to start awareness. Mm, that's awesome. And so what about, what about in schools? What does that look like in schools with with accessibility, are you doing any work around that? Sure, I want to um, advocate for accessibilities in schools because not all schools in New York City are wheelchair accessible. Only 13 to 15 percent are wheelchair accessible at the current moment. Wow, yeah, so I mean that's really low um, and I know that New York City is investing a ton of money and in increasing that percentage but I'm also interested in, in hearing your thoughts on accessible versus barrier-free. Because a lot of young people and families talk about how they can enter a school because there's a ramp or there's an elevator, but they have a really hard time navigating spaces in classrooms or like if, if their classes are on the fifth floor of a building, but the bathroom's on the first floor of a building. You know what I mean? Yeah. And you're laughing. I assume you have <laughs> some thoughts around that. Um. Because when I was going to school, um, we were always told that the school would be barrier-free. And my mom always thought that all the schools were barrier-free. But when I got to like my high school especially, um, she realized that it wasn't fully accessible as they claimed for it to be like barrier-free for students with disabilities. Because all of our classrooms were like on different floors, but they dedicated a floor to the students with disabilities um, to be only in two classrooms. And one of the classrooms had no windows, and it was like the size of a closet. And they told, they told me that it was legal for it to be a classroom. 
because it was put under construction. Oh my god, so how did you navigate that? What did that, I mean, did you, what, hap what, ha what happens in that situation where oh. a classroom doesn't have any windows and is the size of a closet? And also, how did you and other students fit in there? <laughs> it, was, it was 15 of us, including a teacher and a parent, so... I didn't, like, it started to get really difficult, and I had other health issues while being in there. I, I, like, suffered from a lot of nosebleeds and almost, like, panic attacks from being in there, and the teacher always wanted to keep the door closed, and my parents used to be like, no, you have to keep the door open because Katrina is in here, and they used to look at her like, she's crazy, but after, like, a year and a half, they got, like, portable air conditions to put inside each of the classrooms and then eventually they just stopped using the classroom to be a classroom because they realized that I wrote letters to top officials and it got back to the school building so I guess it was because of me that they stopped using it. Yeah I mean that's awesome and I feel like that's the kind of advocacy you're hoping to coach and train other young people on, right? Yes. Because this is still happening in schools. Yes. Yeah. Um, wow, yeah. And so, I mean, kind of even going back a step further, you mentioned that they dedicated half of a floor to students with disabilities. What does that look like for inclusion, right? Like, how how were you all included in the general day, day-to-day -day of, of your school experience? Um, we weren't included at all. We were, like, totally separated from the others. Um, we will only see, like, other students that don't have disabilities through, like, lunch or, like, passing through the hallway. That was the only time that we saw our other peers, but we never got, like, the chance to interact with them and for them to get to know us. So... I mean, what does that look like in your work now? Do you talk at all about, about like, the segregation of youth and students in schools? I mean, and what does that look like even thinking about our school system and the way it's divided, right, where there's a whole school system that's just for students with disabilities and classes and things like that? Um, now they're talking about, like, diversity in schools, and I'm pushing that they, in their conversation, that they include students with disabilities and not just like the economy-wise and low-income families, but I also want to make sure that they include the topic of disability and diversifying all schools. Have you found that that's been a challenge in your conversations around diversity that people tend to not bring up disability as a component of diversity when you're advocating? Yes, because a lot of the places that I went to for like town hall meetings, they talk about diversity, but they never talk about disability, including, divers including diversity and disability. Why do you think that is? Um, because they think it's totally different than with the picture that they're trying to create. What do you mean by that? They're, they just think that disability is one thing and it doesn't have to include like the community and the, the way of defining diversity. Mm. 
Yeah, I found that too. And I also feel like that has to do with representation, right? I feel like if our leaders in schools and our leaders that were creating diversity initiatives had disabilities or knew people with disabilities, that would be a part of the vision that you yeah. were talking about, right? Yes. Um, because, I mean, I don't know, I, I, I'm not meeting with the people you're meeting with, but how many people that you're meeting with have disabilities them, or disorders themselves or, or are doing this work actively with the community? Um, it's always only me when I go to these meetings. It's always, like, only me because they, like, remember me with the crowd and everything. But that's the only reason why I, like, stand out to them because I have, like, the crown on. And they're always curious on why I'm wearing it. Mm. And, like, why am I the only one in the wheelchair at the meeting? It's probably because I'm representing the community. Yeah, but that's problematic, right? Like, you shouldn't, or we should strive to have more folks representing the community than just one person, right? Yes. So that we have multiple voices, because there's diversity within disabilities, too, right? Yes. There's invisible and visible and... Invisible, not visible. Um, there's a lot, so... Um, that's why I'm trying to make sure that we all have voices no matter what our disabilities are. Yeah, that's awesome. So so even thinking about yourself and continuing this work, right? You said you feel like sometimes people only give you the opportunity to speak because you have the crown and because you have a title and you'll forever be Miss Wheelchair New York 2018, but after you pass those reins, are you planning on continuing this work? What does that look like for you? Um, it kind of looks unstoppable, but um, I plan on starting a Little Miss Wheelchair in New York for the younger kids to be able to get involved. Um, I plan on doing um, hope, hope programs for a parent that's um, just being diagnosed with disabilities so that they don't lose hope because doctors often just give them that one option and they don't give them no hope for their child with a disability. Mm -hmm. So I want to be able to like visit hospitals where their parents are like just being um, told that their child have a disability and try to like encourage them to show them that they can possibly grow up to be someone like me. Yeah, and because you and I've talked to your mom about this too, but when you were younger, you weren't talking, right? You were a little bit nonverbal, and then even when you knew you could be verbal, you chose not to be, right? Yes. And that was, why was that? Um, because people didn't take a moment to get to know me, so they often thought that I didn't know anything. So they didn't, like, try to start a conversation with me. So I, I wasn't sure would they get to know me as well as, like, my mom and dad would. Yeah, and do you feel like with the families that you're hoping to work with, that's something you want to kind of bring into your narrative so that they they help their younger kids, you're talking about, like, younger kids, right? Yeah. Um, navigate that because you and I have talked about, you know, that's really challenging um, yeah. to be in a school setting where you don't feel like students have the opportunity to get to know you, so you're just going to choose to not speak. Yes. Yeah. And what was that impact on you 
Like, were you advocating for yourself back then? How did that impact your ability to self-advocate? Um, I don't think I was, like, really advocating for myself back then, but I got involved in, like, writing letters, and I used that as a tool to speak up for myself. So, I, like, started my own website and started writing, like, journals and different things for people to get to know my story, and that's, like, how... I was able to get this far and like be Miss Wheelchair in New York. Mm -hmm. And find your voice. Yes. Yeah. So if you had parents asking you, you know, at what age should I start working with my student on self-advocacy, what would you, <laughs> what would you say? I would say like five years old. Because? Because I think that it's so important for them to start at a young age and get to know that it's okay to be able to speak up for yourself and share your opinion with others. Yeah, that's awesome. And so so you are you are in school while you're doing all of this as well, right? Yes. Yeah. And what are you studying? I'm studying disability studies and behavioral mental health. Great. That feels appropriate, right? Yes. <laughs> and so um, you're working towards your bachelor's. Yes. And when you graduate, what do you hope to do with that degree in disability studies and behavioral mental health? I hope to be a transition specialist and a special education teacher and also be able to help out with like mental health in the community mm -hmm. so we can break the stigma for all. What do you, and what do you feel like, how do we start with that, with, with the intersection of mental health and disability? Um, because that's not always a conversation that they have related to disability as well. They often keep that up because they believe that it's like separate and no one with a disability never suffers from mental health issues. But that's obviously not the case, right? No. Yeah. Yeah. So, so what would be some of your recommendations for families, for young people who are starting the transition process? Like, it doesn't sound as though you had the most effective transition out of high school, right? What, what are some things you wish that happened? Um, I wish that someone had coached me on and guided me through this process so that I wouldn't have such less hope for the future and I would be able to always say that I can make it. Mm. But you're in a space now, right? Yes. You can say that, obviously, with all of these incredible accomplishments. And so, what would you recommend? What would you recommend for young people and for parents and for educators to do with students um, who are in high school, who have disabilities, um, who are beginning the transition planning process? I, w I would recommend that they start getting to know their students more instead of just focusing on like their behavior and the things that they weren't doing. If you get to know them on that level, they'll be able to expand to you and explain to you where you, where they are now and where they want to be in the future. Mm. Yeah, and then what comes to mind for me, Trina, also is like the question of systems navigating. Like all of the various systems that you and so many other people have to navigate throughout transition. What would you, how would you recommend people approach that and the various systems like benefits, SSI, you know, vocational training, college, you know, there's so many components of transition. 
how how have you handled all that and tackled all that? Um, I would say that you just have to be a really strong advocate and keep on their case because they can always let you just go under and not pay you under any attention. Yeah, and how do you? I mean, how do you keep yourself organized, like with all of these various components? Um, you just have to keep track of everything and keep making phone calls. If you don't hear from them today, call them tomorrow until you are able to reach them. Be like kind of annoying. It's okay to be annoying. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and then what about, I feel like this is something we've talked about too, and it talks a little bit, it goes back to the conversation around mental health too. What would? You, what about young people who are feeling lost? and overwhelmed by the process and um, all of the systems. Um, it's okay to talk to someone who knows about the system because they'll be able to guide you and share your story with them because they'll probably have a story too. Yeah, for sure. For sure. So you're going to carry the crown until December, right? January? Um, October. The ending of October. The ending of October. And and then are you part of the crowning of new, yes, new Miss Wheelchair? Yes, I have to donate the crown and pass it on to be able to crown the next person. And so you'll crown the next person? Yes. Beautiful. And that takes place in Albany? Yes. Awesome. And so then once that happens, you'll continue with your studies and you'll continue kind of serving as, as a voice and an advocate for young people with disabilities. Yes, and I'll continue to be a part of, like, Ms. Wilcher New York and Ms. Wilcher America organization. That's awesome. So is there anything else you feel like you want to impart on our listeners today as, as we talked about self-advocacy and the importance of it and, and emphasizing youth-centered transition planning? Um, I just believe that it's inclusion to include, and everyone has a voice, even those who may not have a voice for themselves. Beautiful. Well, thank you so much for being with us today, Trina. You're welcome. Tune in to the next Disability Inc. Um, thank you all for listening.